0: Welcome to Finding Holiness, where we delve into timeless Torah wisdom, revealing the sacred in everyday moments. Join us on a journey to elevate your spirituality and discover holiness in every aspect of life. I'm your host, Rabbi David Kadosh, and together, let's embark on a path of spiritual exploration. I hope you enjoy this next episode. Okay. Erev Tov, everyone. It's so nice to see all this food on the table. Even nicer to see uh, a, uh, you know, a full table with people eating the food, The What can I say? It's, uh, it's beautiful, and uh, thank you all for coming. And uh, we're here and again another Thursday night Parashat Shabua class. Tonight, uh, tonight we're going to study the Parashat of the Week, Parashat Kitisa, which is also Shabbat Para. Shabbat Parah is, as we're going to talk about, is the Shabbat that is usually, or is always, in between Purim and the month of Nisan, and where we talk about the laws of the Parah Aduma. First of all, I want to, I want to dedicate this shiur uh, <coughs> in memory of my, of my dear father-in-law. Zichon uh, Oliv uh, This coming Shabbat is his uh, 30th nakhala. Um Abraham Shalomo ben Yosef Amram. So, uh, may the words of Torah that we say tonight, the lessons that we learn, the inspiration that we gain, be uh, le'ilu nishmato, ti nafshot tzura bitzor hachayim. Amen. Amen. <coughs> um, you know, it's something about the, the para aduma, the red heifer, that our, our rabbis talk about, you know, very, very important. Like, why is it that we're, we're, we're dedicating an entire week to talk about this, this para aduma? Um, on a very, very simple level, on a very simple level, we needed to get Bnei Israel to be pure in order to bring the Korban Pesach. If you're not pure, if you're if you're impure from from for whatever reason you got, came in contact with a dead person and you're impure, only the ashes of the Parah Adumah of the red heifer can actually purify you. And being that very soon. If we were living in the time of the Bet in the era of Pesach, we would have to bring the Korban Pesach, and you cannot bring the Korban Pesach if you're impure. So this was the process that we had to get people into the status of purity. Uh, according to many people, listening to this week's parasha, parashat, Parashat Parah, is also a biblical commandment, just like it was uh, Parashat Zachor, which we read last Shabbat, according to many, even... Parashat para is a biblical commandment. It's actually hinted to in the words. Zot chukat torah asher Hashem, lemor. The chukat is to lemor, to actually say this parashat. So it's a cute little hint in the wording that there that there's a chukat from the Torah, rule in the Torah, that we should say this this parashat. Now, we don't have para today. We don't have the red cow, although some people have claimed to find the red cow, which is pretty cool. You see some cool YouTube videos of people uh, claiming to find it. But what does that mean today? What does what is, what is that mean, that I'm going to read this parashah? What does it do to me? So a lot of the rabbis tell us that reading parashat para actually, uh, it counts as if you you had a paraduma, as if you had a red heifer. And just like the red heifer would purify yourself from impurities, so reading the parashah, reading the parashat paraduma actually purifies all of your sins. And there, it, it, it exalts you on a level that you weren't on before you read it. We see this, this idea, in the words, Un parim sefatenu, every morning in Shachrit, there is 15 minutes in our Sephardic Shachrit that's devoted to Korbanot. I don't know how many people do Korbanot, you should do Korbanot, but the first 15 minutes are usually devoted, 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how fast you read, are devoted to Korbanot. <coughs> now, why are we reading these Korbanot? We don't have a Beit Dash. we don't have a Mishkan, uh, what's the point of, of learning of every day talking about the korban chatat and the korban olah and all these sacrifices that these are during the time of the bet I don't have it today. If you had a bet midrash, okay, it's good. If I want to learn it, fine. Let me learn it on my own time every morning. I'm going to read these 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 paragraphs of korbanot. What's the whole point? So the answer is unchalma parim sefatenu. I don't have a bet midrash. I can't bring a korban, but my lips can be in place of the korban. Meaning, just by reading these paragraphs every morning. A Chachamim tells us, it's as if I brought a corvat. So every time that I'm going to read Parashat Parah, it's as if we're bringing the Parah the red heifer, I'm going to be sprinkling these ashes, and we're going to be purifying the neshamot of, of the Jewish people. And that's a tremendous, tremendous idea, tremendous level. So that's why the rabbis were so strict in saying, even this Shabbat, we want everybody to come to shul. We want everybody to listen to the Parashat and to have concentration because it is a... Um, a very, very important uh, part of our, of our lives. Now, the Paradumah, the Paraduma came to also atone for a sin, arguably the worst sin that the Jewish people have ever made. Now, if you had to categorize what is the worst sin ever, then I would probably say Adam eating from the tree, because without that sin, the whole world would be drastically different than what we know today. But as a group, as a whole, what is the worst sin that Amishel has ever done? Chetegel, Chetegel. All right? The golden calf. The golden calf, which is in this week's parasha. So, so much so, the rabbis tell us, that there is nothing evil in this world. There is no punishment that can befall a person without a drop or an inkling of Chet egel. That means every time that you stubbed your toe, okay, or every time, you know, Hashem sent this punishment, or every time you did it, whatever it is, it's all connected to the Chet egel. Without that sin, we would have been back to the moment of Adam HaRishon before he ate from the tree. That's how severe the sin was. But because the Jewish people sinned with the Chet egel, because they sinned with the golden calf, then this kind of really sunk the world to a very, very low level. It's not coincident that that what comes to atone and repair the sin of the Chet Another cow, right? (laughs) We're bringing the red heifer, a cow, to to, to make up for the mistake of the cow, of, of the calf. So Rashi words it as let the mother come and clean up the mess of the child. Because the golden calf was a baby cow, Egel, and the para was already a mother. So let the mom come and clean the mess of, uh, of the child. And ever since that moment of the cheta Egel, the golden calf, our job in this world is to repair the world, to, be do, to perform tikkun olam. Because we are constantly trying to repair the damage of what was caused from that from that sin. This week's parasha, amongst many other things, teaches us that it's always possible to do Teshuvah. We're gonna speak about a lot a lot of that today. And we're gonna speak a lot about what idol worship means today, now that we don't have idols. And uh, we'll branch out to a few different to a few different topics. Um even after we sin with the Egel, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants and desires his people to do tshuva. Uh, the, like I said, after the performance of the Chet egel, B'nai Shah lost the Kedushah entirely. And, and, and you would think that there's no, there's no opportunity to repent. I'm done, look at this. Like, they're like worshipping this, this calf. Like, after you just received the Torah, like, how is this possible? Who would stoop that low? But the Torah tells us, no, people can fix their souls. People can fix themselves, even after committing a great averah like that. After the averah of the Chet HaEgel, Hashem said to Moshe, Moshe, I want you to leave me. And the Gemara says, if we didn't read these words that God said to Moshe, leave me alone, we would have never believed that he actually said it. But it's written in the Torah, so we have to believe that he said it. The Gemara says that Moshe Rabenu, whatever this means, because it's it's talking it's it's placing Hashem in a physical sense. Moshe Rabbeinu was grabbing on the cloak of God, and said, "God, I'm not leaving here until you forg- you forgive these people. I'm not leaving here. That's how much he prayed, and he was holding on to God's coat. Again, whatever that means, God doesn't have a coat. Okay, but it, it's it's a way of saying that I, I'm being stubborn here and I'm not moving from my position until uh, uh, Hashem Salahti Kitvarecha. I've forgiven them Kitvarecha, based on what your words on your.'" Prayer, I'm forgiving the Jewish people. I want to tell you a story. It's a very famous story. Some of you may have heard the story. The story brought down the Gemara Masechet Hagiga. There were four rabbis that entered the Pardes. The Pardes is the celestial orchard in Shammai. It's levels above, very, very close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How were they able to enter there? It's not through death. They entered there probably through meditation. They're very, very, very high respected, one of the most famous rabbis in the world. Who are these rabbis? Ben Azai, Ben Zoma, Acher, and Rabbi Akiva. Acher was Elisha ben Avuya. He was the rabbi of Rabbi Meir Balanis. These four people, at one time, they probably got to get in a room and said, let's go see where our minds can take us. And they managed to get their neshamas to, the, uh, to the Pardis. Uh, Rashi says that It brought them into heaven, they said a few things, and they were able to see very heavenly visions in Shammai. What happened as a result? Gemara says, Rabbi Akiva entered heaven and came out like nothing happened to him, unscathed. Ben Azai looked and he died instantly, never to see Ben Azai again. Ben Zoma looked and he became crazy, he became insane. And Acher, Gemara says, cut down trees. So that's what Gemara says. He cut down trees. Okay, so only one that really escaped there left in peace was Rabbi Akiva. So now what does it mean, Akher cut down trees? Kotsets netiot, the Gemara says. So Gemara says, he became a apikorus. He became a heretic. He he, he totally lost belief in Hashem and that that Hashem uh, runs the world. (coughs) What happened that caused that? So Acher saw an angel. The the name of this angel is Matatron. (coughs) The name of a famous angel. And the angel was sitting in heaven. Problem. Angels don't sit. Angels never sit. Why was, it, why was Matatron sitting? He was sitting because he got special permission to write down the merits of the Jewish people. So Achher said to himself, now he didn't know that. So Achher said to himself, I've learned that angels don't sit in heaven. How can it be that this angel is sitting? Could it be that this angel is God? That line, that question, could it be that this angel is God? <laughs> Finished. It, it, it destroyed him, so so when when he said that line, God gave the angel permission to remove all of the merits of of Akher. In fact, the angel was also punished. Brought down the mepharshim was punished with sixty uh, uh, fiery lashes. Again, again, whatever this means, um, you know, and uh, complaining. Well, why didn't you stand up if you saw that he was questioning? Why didn't you stand up so that he wouldn't doubt God? Right? Would prevent him from sinning. Um, Okay, nevertheless, this is, this is what happened. So that was his moment of Kfirah. That was his moment where he denied Hashem's existence. The Gemara says a batkol, a heavenly voice, came out from heaven and announced, "Suvu banim sovavim, My children, come and do tshuva, chutz meachher. Everybody can do tshuva except for achher. Achher, you're done, you're over. Basically, heaven was telling him, you can't do teshuvah, your time is over. So Acher says, okay, if I can't do Teshuvah, might as well enjoy life if I'm not going to Allah Ba. So Acher became Acher. He became someone else. We, refer, we refused to call him even by his name. His name was, like I said, Elisha ben Avuyah, Rabbi Rabbi Meir. But now the Gemara refers to him only Acher till the end of his life, and he became a heretic. And he, uh, he decided that, okay, now that I'm going to do the cheeseburgers, I'm going to go everything that I wanted to do or that I thought of, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. I'm going to eat pork. You name it. Breaks up for him. It didn't matter. I'm not going to it anyway. So what's 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 the point? So Rabbi Meir, he was he was such a a devoted student to Acher that he still continued learning from Acher even after he went off. Uh, most people are not able to make a, a, a clear distinction between evil and. Good, but Rabbi Meir was able to do it. Until the end of his life, Rabbi Meir stuck with Acher wherever he went because he knew how to separate good and bad. Sometimes people would see Acher riding a horse on Shabbat and Rabbi Meir was running alongside of him to try to learn from him and, and talk to him in Torah. That's how devoted... On Shabbat, the, the rabbi is riding on a horse, which you're not allowed to do, and Rabbi Meir is riding after him. Rabbi Meir would all, often tell Acher, Rabbi, he still, he still would call him Rabbi, go Rabbi, do Teshuvah, do Teshuvah. Uh, and he said, what's the point? There was that heavenly voice that, you know, everyone returned except for Acher. So what's the point of doing Teshuvah? So the, the Mefarshim explained that once Acher was riding on a horse on Shabbat, um, oh, sorry, on Yom Kippur, near the Kodesh HaKodeshim, and he heard the same Batko, the same heavenly voice announced, Shuvu banim shuvavim chutz Acher, all my children do Teshuvah except for, for Acher. And for him, this really just confirmed his ways that, 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 that there's no reason, there's no point of me even, even changing so the Maharsha, he says, Akher made a big mistake. That he should not listen to the Batkol. Number one, there's a rule. You guys maybe remember this in, in, in Gemara, back in Arab Epsachim. We don't listen to Batkos. I don't know if you remember that, Gemara. But you we don't listen to heavenly voices. Heavenly voices is not God. Okay? Yeah, you remember it? Yeah. We don't listen to heavenly voices. That's number one. Number two, number two, nothing can prevent a person from doing Teshuvah even if the heavenly voice tells you you can't do teshuvah, even if you're riding on a horse in, Kodosh, in front of the Kodesh Kodashim on Yom Kippur, then you ignore the message and you serve Hashem. Hashem would have accepted it because teshuvah is always an option. In fact, some say that the fact that he was told by a bat kol, by a heavenly voice, you're not going to have olam haba, perfect. That gives you all the more reason because now you're serving God for no reason, for, for, for not a specific reason. Most of us, we serve Hashem. Lo rabbi told us, if I do this, I'm going to I'm going to become rich. My rabbi says, if I do this, I'm going to I'm going to get better. My rabbi says, I give tzedakah, I'm going to get more money. So we're doing things not the not for no purpose. But here, the Chachamim say, the fact that he heard, you're not going to get Olam Abba, That was a perfect opportunity to say, now I'm serving Hashem, just even to though I, even just a servant, even though I'm not going to get Olam Abba. Uh, um and and Rabbi Meir will always tell him but again it wasn't enough for him to change. There's a in Masach Sahim there's actually a whole discussion that goes on with how a person should behave when he's a guest at someone's home. okay? And the Gemara sums it up with one line. Gemara says Whatever the owner of the house tells you to do, do it, except when he tells you to leave, right? Then you shouldn't listen to him, right? But because we want you to be, be part of the home. But, but, but you know, if he tells you, can you help uh, you know, clean the dishes, or whatever it is, or help serve his own table, you listen to it? except when he tells you to leave. The Shalak Kadosh says, you can, there's a, you can read this allegorically. Whatever the owner of the house, not the owner of the house, whatever the owner of the world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, tells you to do and dictates, you do, except when he tells you to sin. Except when God tells you, you can't serve me anymore, get out. In that case, you don't listen to him, because you can always do teshuva. There's never going to be a time where a Kadosh Baruch Hu is going to tell you, get out. You have no chance to serve, uh, serve me anymore. And there's many people that feel that they've stooped to such a low level. There's no way I can repent. I sin too much. I sin too severely was all these bad people, I, I got myself in part of the wrong crowd, I did really, really bad things with uh, these girls, and I did really, really bad things with these men, and then it was really, uh, I'm a horrible person. There's no way I can do it. They think I Hashem abandoned them. That's not true. Now the problem is, there are, sometimes you might get this uh, really, really uh, right-wing teacher that's going to tell you, if you do this and this sin, you know what the Zohar tells you? The Zohar says that you're impossible to do Teshuvah if you do these sins. Impossible, you're done, you're finished, you're over. We're not here to explain those Zohars, but the Zohar does not mean does not mean literally what what it says. It's important to remember that teshuvah is always an option, and there are other commentaries on that this try to explain what the Zohar actually is, is referring to. But no matter what a person did, he can repent. You know what the Rambam says on the Echot Teshuvah? Always quote this Rambam right before Rosh Hashanah, right before Yom Kippur. He says, "Shuvah Shuvah Yisrael, Ad That's a pasuk in Hosea. Rambam says. Yesterday, this guy was hated in God's eyes. Hated. God didn't want to see him. Guy did teshuvah. Hayom Hu Ahu VeNechmad Karov Now he's beloved. Now he's a, he's a friend to God. He was hated. He was meshukats, He was an abomination because of all the things that he was doing. One act of teshuvah can change can change your whole life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it is? To, to, to take that one step, that one leap of faith, and how much it is that you can, you know, change your whole future. Like who's waiting for the person to take that, that, uh, that leap. So the Chet Egel, the golden calf, we suffer from it today, like I mentioned. And all of our Averot, all of our sins, all of our punishment, there is a, there's a little, little dose of that, of that sin that, uh, that we need to repair. Um, a lot of you are probably thinking, well, that was a pretty bad sin. That was a pretty bad sin. Cheta Egil? You know, we wouldn't do that today. Would we actually start building a golden calf? Like, if, if you were in the middle of nowhere and, and you had no access to a rabbi, and to our, okay, let's just build a calf and let's just worship a calf. When, you, when we read about people's attachment to Avodah Zarah and idol worship, uh, we wonder how intelligent people would be so interested in making an idol out of gold. Like, we're not talking about guys, you know, you know, the, the, the homeless guys, the unlearned guys sitting on the subway who got, have no education. We're talking the Dora Midbar. We're talking people that lived in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, the miracles that they saw. What are they doing? How do, we, uh, how do we make sense of this? And the answer is, they actually had a drive, a yetzer, an inclination to serve idols, that we don't have because we don't have those temptations that they used to have years ago. The Gemara Masechet Yoma, Tav Samech Tet Amur Abed says, that in the days of Ezra Nehemiah, Ezra Nechemiah, we're, right, we're at the time of Purim, right after the time of Purim. Ezra was the head of the Beddin at the time of Mordechai Yehudi. He took the Jews from Persia, from Sushan and, 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 and Persia, back to Israel. So he was the head of the Bedin. But in those days, they, 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 they got up and they made a fila And said, God, listen, you destroyed the first Bet HaMikdash because of the three cardinal sins. Idol worship, that's immorality, sexual relations, and murder. Those are the three cardinal sins. We want to build the second Bet HaMikdash. We still have these temptations. What, what makes you think that we're not going to just do it again? So you gave us a Yetzirah so that we can earn reward, but we don't want the yetzara. God, they, they said, we don't want the Yetzirah anymore, we don't want a reward, leave us alone. So there was a note, the Gemara says, a note fell from Shammai, and it had Hashem's seal on it that said, emet. This meant that this, they, they learned from this, that Hashem agreed with their, their argument, and the Yetzirah isn't good. So what did they do? They fasted for three days, kind of like what Esser did, three nights, and the Yetzirah, the Gemara describes, came out of the Kodesh Kodashim or uh, uh, appearing like a lion. And they said, that's the Yetzirah, that's the Yetzirah, go and defeat it. So they captured the Yetzirah, and from that moment, there was no more Yetzirah for Abu Dazirah anymore. And that's why we don't have a temptation to bow down to the sun, or the moon, or to some image, or to some painting. That's why. So at that time, Gemara says they, they got smart. They're like, oh wait a second, if we got rid of one Yetzirah, we'd get rid of the other ones too. Right, let's get let's get rid of the Yetzirah for immorality. So he started praying three three nights, three days, three nights, he started fasting and praying. Do so you know what ended up happening? It worked. There was no more Yetzirah for immorality. Just one problem. Then no, you don't get the reward. No. Then what happened what happened as a result? There was no more reproduction in the world. Animals weren't reproducing. Humans weren't reproducing. There was, not, there was not one male species that wanted to be with a female species. No. Goodbye. Leave me alone. What are you doing? What are you getting close to me for? Nothing. So th- the world was falling apart. They had to pray again so that Hashem bring back the Yetzirah of Giluia Rayot. So Gemara tells us that in Masechet Sanhedrin, another story, the Rav Ashi, uh, one of the great uh, Chachamim of the Gemara, he told his students, tomorrow we are going to study about our friends. Use the word friends. He was referring to one of the evil kings of the Jewish people, from Shevet Yehuda. It was, it was, the name of the king was Menashe. I believe he was the son of Chizkiyahu. And uh, Menashe, the, Gemara, the Mishnah says, he lost his chelek in Olam Aba. He was very, very evil, big, big idol worshiper. And, and when he called them friends... He, when Ravashi referred to the king as a friend, it was like an insult. Like, uh, he didn't even call him a king. He to him, We're going to learn about our friends, quote unquote. That night, Menashe came to Ravashi in a dream. And he said, You called me your friend? You think I'm your friend? He goes, Let's see if we're equal or friends. You think I'm a nobody, right? So he asked him the following question. In the dream, Menashe asked Ravashi, On which side does one. Of the bread, does one make the bracha? In other words, when you say the bracha on ha where do I cut? Where do I cut? This side of the bread? That side of the bread? Of the, where do I cut? In the dream, Ravashi said, I don't know. I don't know the answer. So Menashe says, if you don't know the answer to this simple question, why do you call me your friend? I'm greater than you. So Ravashi says, okay, tell me the answer. Which side of the bread do you cut? And tomorrow I'm going to teach my students in your name. And Menashe re- replied, you make the bracha, meaning you cut the bread on the part that the bread is baked the most, it's baked the best. And that's actually halacha lemaseh. Which side of the challah do you cut on Friday night on Shabbat? The, the side the side that is baked more. The darker side, we like to call it the darker side. That's the side that you cut. So Rav Ashi says, I don't get it. If you were so wise, I didn't even know this answer. So why did you worship Abu Dazara? Why did you worship idols? You're, you're such an evil king. You didn't know So Menashe said, if you had lived in my generation with me, you would pick up the hems of your coat and run after me and faster than me to worship Abu Dazara, if you lived in my generation. And the dream ended. And the next day, Avashi went back to his class, and he said, my students, Let's begin discussing our teachers. He didn't call him a friend. He goes, we're going to, our teachers. He referred to Menasheh as a teacher because he taught him that. So the earlier generations had a had a very strong desire for Abu Dazara, which we, Baruch Hashem, don't have anymore. So we can, it's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to relate to them. But... The, the phones are on the <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right. So, so, so today, today we have... We have different uh, devices that many people will say are, are, are we worship. We worship, some people say we worship our phones, like you said. Some people say we'll worship uh, uh, sp- sport athletes. Uh, we'll worship celebrities or singers. You know, I always you know, tell a lot of my students, mostly the, the female ones, when they go crazy after these male singers and then, and then their whole life is surrounded around these male singers, I go, it's questionable. Is this, is this a form of abhutazah they're worshiping? You know, there's something to be discussed, but there are actual statements in Chazal where, where they, they relate certain traits to be a type of Avodah, avodah Zarah. We don't have a Yetzarah for Avodah Zarah, but some Averot are like an Avodah zara, and we have to avoid them. Um, and when we read about the Chet and we read about the golden calf, we have to think about these sins. We have to think about what are these sins like Avodah Zarah and how do we cleanse ourselves? One of the most famous comparisons to idol worship is the trait of anger. The Gemara tells us, Whoever gets angry is as if he worships Many people have attempted to explain what exactly this line means. Some say it's a buildup. You know, your anger leads you to one thing, or when you lose control, then then you believe nothing's in control. You believe, Hashem, why am I getting angry? You're getting angry because you thought you were in control. But but really, Hashem's in control. If you knew Hashem was in control, then you wouldn't be angry. And therefore, it's like Abu Dazerah, because you think Hashem's not in control. That's generally the the most popular opinion on this line. Now, Ben-Ishchai told the following uh, parable in one one of his sefers, uh, that there was a king and a prime minister who would often dress up like regular people and walk around the town to see what the people were talking about. And uh, once the king said, let's go to the hospital. I want to see what the people are saying in the hospital. So the Prime Minister said, ah, what are you going to waste your time going to hospital for? It's just sick people there. Why are we going to go to the hospital for? You know, what, what? how is that going to be important to your kingdom? Because I want to go. I want to go. So he convinced him, let's go to the hospital. So they came to a person who was in great, miserable pain. And he said, what happened to you? And the guy's like, like t- grabbing his leg, goes, ah, I was bitten by a wild dog. I'm in so much pain. So he is there a cure? Did the doctor say there's a cure? He said, there's a cure. You have to take the liver... Of the dog that bit me, okay, and uh, and then use that as medication, uh, um, and and that will cure the illness. That the illness, that liver will cure the illness. So the 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 king who was dressed up says, okay, so why are you so upset? Why are you so mad? You know, you could be healed. The man said, no, I was so angry when the dog bit me. I took a stone, I threw it at the head of the dog, and I killed the dog. And now I don't have a cure anymore, and that's why I'm in so much pain. That's why I'm so dis- distressed. So when they left the hospital, um, the, uh, the prime minister looked at the king and he says, I told you this is going to be a waste of time. You just walked in the hospital. You just wasted two hours of your life. You didn't hear anything smart. You didn't learn about anything about your kingdom. You wasted your time. And the king disagreed. "Because what are you talking about? Well, I think it was a very good idea to come here. Because I learned that, how I, I, that I have to control my anger. That if I act impulsively, and I, I might regret it later. Look at the ill man. The fact that he took the stone and he killed the dog right away. If you would have just stopped for a moment and realized that that dog contained the cure for his illness, he wouldn't have executed anyone. He wouldn't have executed the dog. So, therefore, I'm not going to execute anyone I know unless I know I wait a night to think uh, things over. Not long ago, I said a story in uh, the drash on Shabbat. It's brought down the Sefer Hasidim. There was once a father who told his son before he died, he says, Listen, you honored me a lot in my lifetime, but I want you to honor me even after I die. And, uh, what? okay, sure, Dad, what, what do you want me to do? He goes, after I die, I want you to think about that. Every time you, you think you're angry and you have a reason to get angry, wait until the next day. Don't become angry immediately, just wait till the next day. I don't know if you guys remember the story that I said. So the son said, yeah, sure, no problem. I promise, I promise, I promise. Okay, the son got married, and after that, he uh, a few months later... He decided he had to, or he had to go do business. Back then, you have to travel sometimes, long time to go do do business. And he was there for for a, quite a few years, actually, doing business overseas. And he finally comes back to see his wife, and he hears a voice in the house. Sounds like a like a young like a young man in the house. He goes, what is this? My wife? She was unfaithful. I come back. Here I'm trying to support the family and the, 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 my wife's w- with another man. That's it. I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to kill my wife. I can't believe this. And he takes the sword out of the sheath. And he's ready to, to go barge in and, and, and wreak havoc. And then he remembered. He remembered what his father said. He said, whenever you're angry, just wait till the next day. So he said, okay, you know what? I'm going to wait outside. So he hid, hid in the woods. He fell asleep. And the next morning he comes back and he comes in and he hear, hears again. Yeah, and, and 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 from the, from the the voice of his wife, he says, you know, your father left many years ago, didn't know that I was pregnant with you. Oh, if he only saw you now, how you've grown up to be such a good boy, he would come back and give you a hug. And he realized that the voice that he heard was not a a man violating his wife. It was uh, his own. It was his own son. So he came in, and they, you know, he, he hugged and embraced both the wife and the son. And then the, the community made a beautiful seudah to to welcome uh, Imam. So it's always always important to you know to learn how to push off the anger. So many times, the family feuds and fights amongst friends happen because you're quick to act. And you don't want to just take a few minutes to just stop and think. Wait a second, is it worth it for me to get angry now? Do I should 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 I light this fire? Because if I light this fire, how far is it going to how far is it going to spread? We can save ourselves from so many unnecessary uh, fights uh, by training ourselves to just take a deep breath and wait uh, wait a little bit. You know, in Khumash, there's two ways to say. I want to go to a place, right? Normally, the word to go to Israel is Le Yisrael. All right? Yerushalayim, Le Yerushalayim, right? But in Chumash, that's not how they write the word. When they want to say to Mitzrayim, they say Mitraim Ma. Mitraim Ma. The hey at the end in, 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 is in place of the Lamid. Uh, either way, it means to Egypt. Le or Mitraim Ma. But what, what is gained by putting the hey at the end of the word? So one of the Chassidic rabbis said very nicely. He says, um, the, the, the hey that is said at the end is preferable because whatever could be said later should be said later. If you can hold it off, hold it off. The hey has a softer sound than the lamid. The lamid is, is a stronger syllable. So, so when you push off speaking, it probably means that you're going to express yourself in a more softer tone than when you speak right away uh, and, and on, on impulse. In fact, the Kachka has a very cute into, we're in the season of Pesach, yeah? We're 30, We're less than 30 days before Pesach. Remember this Dvar Torah for your uh, for your Seder table. The Katschah Rebbe says, what is the lesson of Karpas? Karpas, which is the, the third siman of the night of the Seder. The Katschah Rebbe says, the word Karpas actually teaches you a lesson how to speak. Karpas stands for Klal Rishon. First rule of thumb is Klal Rishon Pesatum. Your mouth should be quiet. Close your mouth. That's number one. Before, before you even talk, just keep your mouth shut. Now, what happens if I got to speak? What, I, I have to say something. Yachatz magid. Whatever you were gonna be magid, whatever you were gonna say, yachatz, cut in half. Break it. Don't, don't say everything you want to say because it's probably gonna bring, uh, uh, bring you lots of trouble. If you want to save yourself from trouble, limit, limit the words that you want to say. But the first rule is, is Klad Pesatum. That, uh, that was a beautiful idea from the cutter. We just finished Purim. What a greater example than Empurim. Ahas Veros. got angry at Vashti. Boom, gets up, sends his, his queen out, and he realizes the next one, what did I do? Oh man, maybe I shouldn't have gone so upset. Now he's got to go find another, another wife. Okay, of course, it was Hashem's plan. Vashti, uh, Esther had to, had to come. Uh, Ahas was not a person to push off his anger. Ahas was one of the most schizophrenic people you've, you, you probably will ever read about. Uh, uh, there are many books written about his personality and uh, what he did. Haman do, does what he does. He has not killed immediately. Had he allowed, time to, allowed himself time to think a little bit first before acting on Haman, he probably would have reacted very differently. You know, what does the pasuk say after, after Esther reveals Haman? What does Harbona says? Charvona says, Look, those are the gallows. 50 Amotal, the same gallows that he that he was going to hang Mordechai, who spoke good about the king. The Vilna Gaon said that Khashvirosh misunderstood what Haman what Harbona said at that moment. He has a brilliant chidush, the Vilna Gaon that he says, Asher Dibertov melech." He says that that Haman said the gallows are even better for the king. Uh, that's how Ahasuerus interpreted what Chavonah said the gallows that he built for Mordechai Haman thinks are better for you yeah better for me you' gonna you're gonna hang me on the gallows I'm going to show you so King says Yala go hang him and that was the end. So you know what's the result of, of reacting so impulsively without taking the time to, to, to think through and and a lot of the older uh, Hasidim would always they would have different methods on how they would Deal with anger. Um, so some of them would, whether they were get angry, they would run to the room and they would pu- start putting on this suit. It was called their angry suits. And they would start putting on this suit and then halfway they're putting on the th- suit, they realize, okay, maybe I'm not angry after all. But that was their method to deal with it because it's an emotion. People get angry. You know, you don't like the way things are working out in your favor, so you get angry. You know, others would take water. They would take water, put it in their mouth and keep the water in their mouth without swallowing it. One actually said to Segula to get rid of anger. Okay, I've never tried it. Maybe I should, I, mean, I don't know, maybe I should try it. But that's what they would do. But re, w- whether you consider it ludicrous or not, but this was their way to deal with it because they, they understood how severe uh, severe it was. So anger is one of those things that a um, chachamim compared to as like a type of avodah zara. Another one is sadness. Sadness. Uh, the atzvut uh, being sad is also a, a form of avodah zarah. The Chachamim say that when that only the men worshipped the golden calf, not the ladies. The women did it. I'm going to speak about it more length this Shabbat. The drasha Hashem at the drasha, but the women the women didn't worship avodah zarah. How did the women pass the test? How did the women not donate? And the answer is, tells one of the one of the great uh, the Belzer Rebbe. He says you got to go back to Kriyat Yamsof. After Hashem split the sea, the Pasuk says that Miriam, Aaron's sister, took the tambourine, the drums, and started playing. And the Pasuk says, That all the ladies came out with their drums and their dances. And when B'nai Yisrael did the golden calf, Moshe Benu comes down from the mountain, the Pasuk says, He saw the calf, and the dancing. What dancing did he see? So he remembered, he remembered that the woman didn't dance before. The women, the women danced at the time of the, of the Kriyat Yamsuf. And that's what protected them from the Cheta Egil, so the bells of Rebbe. The men, they sang as Yashir Moshe, but they didn't dance. They just sang. The women sang and also danced with the tambourines and the drums. And they passed the test of the Egil. That's what the Leviim also, and the Kwanim, they also didn't Sin with the egel. That's why they were the ones chosen to be God's representatives in the mishkan. Why? Because they were serving through music. They were serving through the betamim with music. Music. Whenever there's music, there's joy. And a person doesn't fall into the trap of avodah God forbid, because avodah is attributed to being sad And when I'm when I'm hearing music and I'm playing music and I'm dancing, you guys know you've been to weddings, you you you've been to parties. You know what it is. You know what it is to be in, a, in an energetic uh, an energetic state. Um, And that's what happens, you know, people who who reach levels of sadness and depression, what goes through their mind, you know, to to them it's like, okay, nothing makes sense, I don't care about anything, they start denying things, they start really, really thinking horrible things, and all these other types of uh, of Averot. We're still in the month of Adar. Of course, we all know the statement, the word Besimcha, Besimcha, with happiness, is the same gematria as the word Shana, 355. Shana to teach you what that, there, that there's this concept of being joyous throughout the year, not just not just the month of Adar. I said this the other the other day at the lady shul. It's not just Ichna's Adar matchilim liot besimcha. It's Mishanichnas Adar marbim besimcha. You increase your happiness. That means you been ha- you are already happy in the month of Shvat and in Tevet and in Elul and in the, of course we're just increasing it. The concept of uh, uh, throughout throughout the year when it comes Adar. We raise that one more level. We'll end with the following idea. The best way, the best way to defeat today's Abu Zarah is through Emuna. It's through faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Uh, There's an, an amazing story that I read uh, that was set over by the Chose of Lublin. Um, and he said the story that during the time of the Rishonim, Rishonim was the time of Rashi and Rambam, it was very common for Catholic priests to summon the Jews for a debate. Uh, One of the most famous ones, you can read about it, there were books, Nachmanides, the Ramban. They even made a movie out of it. They legit made a movie about the debate between Nachmanides, the Ramban, and the Catholic priests. This happened a lot. Um, It was in front of a tribunal, uh, and it was an attempt for these Christians and Catholics to prove that they were superior uh, than the Jews. And their goal was to win the debate, obviously, and they would find, a lot of it was crooked reasoning to, to find ways to win the debate, and to force Jews, that was their goal, to accept the faith of uh, Christianity and uh, Catholicism. So once a priest came to a Jewish village, and um, and he got permission for the local government, and he says that we're having a debate, and I'm I'm forcing one of, one of the members of this community to have a debate, and the loser of the debate will be thrown into the river, and basically... You will drown, I guess, uh, you're thrown into the ocean, yeah, no help, you're, you're finished. And the date was set for the debate. Now, the problem was the Jews were very afraid because they knew that it was crooked. They knew that they were going to find a way to defeat the Jewish people. So nobody wanted to step up and debate this this Christian, this uh, this uh, priest. So, um, and, and, and for, for good reason, because nobody wanted to die. Nobody wanted to be the loser to be thrown into the river. So there was this one simple tailor. He was an unlearned man. He knew very, very little. And he says, I'm going to take on the priest. I'm going to go and debate the priest. Now, the the chances of this guy winning was, like, little to none. He had, again, he had no experience. He didn't study Torah. He didn't go to uh, uh, any shiur. He didn't learn Gemara. What's this guy going to do facing a big priest? But since nobody else stepped up to the challenge... So community says, "Okay, you want to go? You want to go debate him? Go and debate him. All right, best of luck to you, man. Uh, it's been nice knowing you, basically, right?" So the priest gets up in front of the whole tribunal, and this ignorant tailor, probably dressed in very ruggedy clothing, comes up to debate him. And he thought it well, was this a joke. What's going on? You send me this guy. Where's your professors? Where's your rabbis? What are you <coughs> sending me this guy for? The priest was certain, certain that he was going to win, and uh, so much so that he tells the tailor, you know what? You asked the first question. You ask the first question. You figure it would be a, such a stupid question. He'll answer in no time. So the tailor didn't really seem afraid at all. So he goes to him, he says, do you know what it means, any yodeah? Quoting the Khuma, According the any Yodea." And the priest says, I don't know. What does any yodeah mean? I don't know. The priest says, I don't know. So Taylor says, ah, I want the debate. I won the debate. The priest admitted that he doesn't know. I won the debate. I won the debate. So the tribunal is looking at the rules of the debate, and they said, sorry, you lost the debate. You admitted that you don't know. And they took the priest, and they threw him into the river, and the priest drowned because he didn't know the answer. Well, he did know the answer, but he said, I don't know. So the Jews were, were rejoicing and they were dancing and like their tilots were answered, this unlikely hero came and saved the day and they went up to him and he says, Tell me, how did you think of that question? Brilliant question. What made you ask that question to the priest? So he says, you know, I have a book at home that, that has a translation of Rashi. It's a translation of Rashi. Uh, Rashi, of course, a commentary in Chumash. And there are a few times in Chumash where Rashi writes in his commentary, Eni Yodea. It's very, very, not often, but when he says it, I always learn it as a level of humility that even Rashi can say, I don't know. But he says, Eni Yodea, I don't know the meaning of this. And the translation was, I don't know. So I figured, if this learned author of this book didn't know the meaning of Eni Yodea, for sure, this guy doesn't know the meaning of any Yodea. So I asked him, do you know the meaning of any Yodea? He told me, I don't know. And I won the debate. And the, Chazon, the the Jose of Lublin used this story to demonstrate that even a simple, unlearned, tailor guy who has a nobody even knows can win against a learned priest because to have emunah, you don't need wisdom. In fact, simplicity is the key factor of the emunah, and I hope to talk about this more on on, on Shabbat. And that's what Rashi says in the opening of Paraduma Duma, of Parashat Parah that we're going to read this Shabbat. The, the Satan is going to go to the, the nations of the world uh, and, and uh, 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 sorry, the Satan and the nations of the world are going to go to the Jews and say, what kind of stupidity are you guys doing with this red cow? You're finding a red cow you can barely find, you're going to burn it, you're going to, di- you're going to uh, take the ashes, you're going to dip it with hyssop, and, like, and you're going to sprinkle it on people, and all of a sudden they're going to be hocus-pocus, yay, we're, not, we're, we're now purified. What kind of stupidity is this? This is what the nations of the world and the Satan are going to tell the Jews. Well, we answer. We're, we're, we answer what Rashi tells us we're supposed to answer. The Torah calls it a chok. The Torah calls it a, a, a one of the chukim of the Torah, which are which are decrees that we don't have permission to question. We don't understand how Akadosh Baruch Hu makes this work. Even Shlomo HaMelech didn't understand how the para worked. We don't understand the mitzvah, but that doesn't mean that we don't do it. That's emunah peshuta. That means full-fledged faith. The reward for believing in Hashem is enormous. What does the Gemara say in The descendants of Haman. Yemach Shemo, his great-great-great-grandchildren were teaching Torah and Bnei Brak. They were rabbis in Bnei Brak, one of the most religious cities in the world. That's where Rabbi Akiva lived. They were teaching in Bnei Brak. How did Haman earn this merit? How did Haman, Amalek, earn that his grandsons were teaching Torah and Ben Brak? So rabbis tell us it was a reward for one single moment of emunah that Haman had. When Haman was leading Mordechai, uh through the streets of shushan right after he was uh, morchai was dressed up uh in the king's uh, clothing haman said adonai birtsonakha hematale harerios istarta panecha itinival that's a pasuk in mizmor shel hanukah ta beit david we say that the 30th chapter of teilim birtsonakha hashem with your will hematale harerios istarta panecha itinival you hid your face and i became shocked. Nifhal. I, was, I was totally surprised. Meaning he recognized that his humiliation came from Hashem and that when he gets honor, it's also from Hashem. And that one moment of recognizing that Hashem is in charge, that was a moment of emuna. And although it was just a small moment, he merited to have his children teaching in B'nei Brak. Emuna is the strongest antidote we have to combat today's Avodah Zarah. Whatever that, whether that be anger, whether that be sadness, whether that be uh, cell phones, whether it be the suffering and the trials and tribulations that we go through, the fact that, you know, life gets difficult sometimes, when a person closes his eyes and has full-fledged faith, even if it's small, you can be the most basic guy in the world. You could be the the uh, the, 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 the tailor. The tailor sitting on the side in his shop, but it can uh, must change your life. Have a great night, everybody. Uh,